So we're standing here, Father, in the midst of a very long story, in the midst of, of a purpose that was alive the day we told Abram, let her come, Sarah and Leah, we called the promise. That promise was living then, and it lives still. We are heirs of your promises. Righteousness? What kind of righteousness do you have? Good, good. Let's turn the mic up here. Turn the mic up, turn it down. We will wait a moment. We have a dead battery. Would you say, would you want to stand up and say Kaddish for the battery? <laughs> Yitkadal Vitkadash. Got righteousness? What kind of righteousness you got? That's an interesting story, interesting question. What kind? We're gonna make an instructive comparison today between the righteousness of Abraham and the righteousness of Lot. Oh, you may think, the righteousness of Lot? I've never thought about that. Well, you're going to think about it today. And we're going to see how his righteousness compares to that of Abraham, our ancestor. It features two angels from God's away team who come to earth uh, to, uh, and uh, they come and they're going to go do an expedition into Sodom to find out if the wickedness of Sodom is as bad as Hashem has heard. And uh, if so, then judgment awaits Sodom. A little background. We heard today how Abram successfully interceded for Sodom and Gomorrah. He said to God, look, he finally got God down to 10, and he said, if there are... Uh, Ten righteous people in Sodom. Will you not save the? Will you save the city for the sake of the ten? 
and uh, God says he will. Now, I had a discussion within the last 24 hours with someone who thinks that Abram is only interested in saving the righteous people of Sodom and Gomorrah, that he doesn't want to see the righteous destroyed with the wicked, and that therefore he's only really concerned about the righteous there. I don't think so. I think Abraham wants to see mercy even for the wicked. And I think that when we pray, if we only pray for righteous people, I think that's wrong. We ought to pray for all kinds of people. And Abram did. He set an example for us. So uh, the angelic away team visits Sodom. And Lot reflects in his conduct Abram's hospitality. This is interesting. It fascinates me. And it, these details in the text are not accidents. There's nothing in the Torah that's an accident. The two angels came to Sodom that evening. That's really the right way to pronounce it. Would you say Sodom? Sodom. Not Sodom. Sodom. The two angels came to Sodom that evening when Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom, just as Abram was sitting in his tent when the visitors come. He's sitting in the gate. Lot saw them. He got up to greet them, and he prostrated himself on the ground. He said, here now, my lords, please come over to your servant's house. He's extending hospitality to them, like Abram did earlier. But also, Sodom is a wicked city. It's not safe to stay in the square overnight. Bad things can happen to you there. It's not the first time we have, the only time we have that story. We have a story like that in 2 Kings also. Uh, of, a, of, a, of a Levite from Bethlehem who wants to stay out outside in a city overnight with his concubine. And, and he's on his way back to Bethlehem and someone pleads with him, no, 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 you can't do that. Come into my house. So here, Lot reflects Abram's hospitality by providing for the way team. He says, spend the night, wash your feet, get up early, go on your way. No, they say, no, we'll stay here, it's okay. That's a very Jewish answer, by the way. You know, it's all right, I'll sit in the dark. You know, no, 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 it's all right, we'll stay in the square. But he kept pressing them. So they went home with him, and he did what Abraham did. He made them a meal, baking matzah for their supper. Why matzah? There wasn't time for the bread to rise. That's all you can bake uh, in that short time, matzah. And they ate. So, however, the wicked men of Sodom, uh, uh, they come. Now, many of us are used to just thinking this is a story about, ho about homosexuality. That's not true. It's a story about homosexual rape. This is an act of dominance. The, the, what makes this story, the book of Ezekiel says that Sodom was an inhospitable place. They're coming, these, these, these strangers have come to town, and the people, the men of Sodom are so wicked that any strangers that come to town, they're going to take advantage of them. And they're going to rape them as an act of violence. This is what happened to Muammar Gaddafi before he died. This is what happened uh, to uh, our, uh, our man in, uh, the man in, uh, in uh, Benghazi, the, the ambassador there. I believe he was also sexually abused before he died. This is an act not of lust. It's an act of domination. 
You got it? So all the men of Sodom come. Before they could get to bed, the men of the city surrounded the young, surrounded the house, young and old, everyone from every neighborhood of Sodom. This is extraordinary. They called Lot and said to him, where are the men who came to stay with you tonight? Bring them out. We want to have sex with them. Well, righteous Lot and his family are rescued. The, uh, the, the, the two men in the house temporarily blind the people at the door. They bring Lot in, in there. The men said to Lot, do you have any people here besides yourself, whomever you have in the city, son-in-law, daughter, your sons, your daughters, bring them out of this place because we're going to destroy it. Adonai has become aware of the great outcry against them, and Adonai has sent us to destroy it. So, you, Lot, Lot went out. Spoke, now, this is interesting. This is interesting. So far, Lot has done everything right. And, but now we begin to see that living in Sodom exacts a price. Uh, that, that there's a contamination of, of values that takes place. Lot went out and spoke with his sons-in-law who had married his daughters and said, get up and leave this place because Adonai is going to destroy the city. But his sons-in-law didn't take him seriously. They thought it was a joke. That's, that's a sign of spiritual problems. It goes on. There's flaws in Lot's character that emerge in this story. When morning came, the angels told Lot to hurry. Get up, they said, and take your wife and your two daughters who are here. Otherwise, you'll be swept away with the punishment of the city. But he dallied. What is he dallying about? He dallies. We don't know what he's dallying about. But he's not quick to respond to the commandment of God as mediated to him through these angels. He's not quick to respond. Abraham is different. When Abraham, in chapter 22... When God says, I want you to take your son, your only son, your son and your love, Isaac, and offer him up as a sacrifice on one of the mountains, I will show you. The next morning, Abraham gets up early in the morning and saddles his donkey. He responds with alacrity, quickly. But now, Lot is dallying. So the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters. Adonai was being merciful to them. And they led them, leaving them outside the city. So far, so good. When they brought him out, uh, the angel said, uh, flee for your life. Don't look behind you. Don't stop anywhere in the plain. Escape to the hills, otherwise you're going to be swept away. This is a crisis. Uh, sorry. Mm. Na 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 na. Okay. Lot says to them, he says, "Now please know, my lord, this is so pathetic. Uh, he's so wimpish at this point." Please know, my Lord, I can't escape to the hills because I'm afraid a disaster will overtake me and I will die. Look, 
There's a town nearby to flee to, and it's a small one. Can, can I make a small compromise? It's a small one. Can I go there? Please, let me escape there. Isn't it just a small one? And that way, I will stay alive. He replied, all right. This is amazing to me, the, 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 the patience of the angels, how they, they, they deal with him. All right, he says. All right, I agree to what you have asked. I won't overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Hurry and escape to that place, because I can't do anything until you arrive there. Somehow the will of God, I think this is in response to Abraham's intercession. God had agreed to Abraham about the righteous. And so he's saying, look, I can't do anything until you get safe. That's amazing to me. Then follows Lot's wife, lingering and turning to look back. She also dallies. They're told, not, don't look back. She looks back, and she's turned to a pillar of salt. I believe what that is is that there's a lot of bitumen. There's, a, there's basically a volcanic eruption of some sort. There's something that happens there, and the ash falls in her, and it's written as he's turned into a pillar of salt. She's toast, so to speak. Uh, so, just a sec. Now, later on, Lot goes up from that, remember that little city? He says, let me go there. I'm afraid, I'm afraid. Now he's in that city, so are, and he lives in the hills with his two daughters because he was afraid to say, and so are. First, he's afraid to, to flee to the hills. He asks, can I stay in this little village? He stays in the little town. Then he's in the town. He's afraid to stay there. We're going to look at this later. So he and his two daughters lived in a cave. Subsequently, each of his daughters make their father drunk and they have sex with him. This is not a very righteous story. But they, f they figure there's no guys around. And we've got to fulfill our biological potentiality. And they each have sex with their father. One becomes the ancestor of the Ammonites. The other becomes the ancestor of the Moabites. Not a good story. So, amazingly, in 2 Peter, we read Scripture's assessment of Lot. Adonai rescued Lot. This is what 2 Peter says. A righteous man. He's called a righteous man who was distressed by the debauchery of those unprincipled people in Sodom and Gomorrah for the wicked deeds which that righteous man saw and heard. Twice he's called a righteous man. And he lived among them, tormenting his righteous heart day after day. He's called righteous. Abraham is also called righteous. But what's the difference between these two? Let's go on. Lot was righteous, but he was unstable in his life with God. He was merely righteous. There are many of us like that. There are many people you know who are like that. They are righteous. They are believers. They believe the right things. They are even distressed about the right things. You know, they, they're distressed about the sin around them. They're distressed about their own sin. But they have no stability. They're the unstable righteous. They're merely righteous. 
Am I merely righteous? Sometimes. Am I merely righteous as a habit of life? I hope not. Are you merely righteous? Oh, I'm in the kingdom, but don't bother me. Life's too tough. I'm just going to kind of stick around the edges. Are you merely righteous? That's what Lot was. Lot was righteous. You are righteous. But you're merely righteous. And I'm praying that God will make that not good enough for you. Abraham was righteous, and he was stable in his life with God. He was truly righteous. That's, these are the terms I'm using. Merely righteous and truly righteous. What made the difference? That's my question in the sermon. And we find the answer in our Parsha, in chapter 21, verse 1. Here it is. It says, Adonai remembered Sarah as he had said, and Adonai did for Sarah what he had promised. He's the one who says and performs and decrees and fulfills. A person who is truly righteous is a person who lives by his conviction that Adonai will do what he said and will do as he had promised. A person whose life is stabilized by a confidence in God. Did Lot show a confidence in God in his escape from, from Sodom? No. He says, I'm afraid. I'm, I'm going to get engulfed. God is delivering them, and he's afraid. It's, he's, he's got to improve it. He says, Isn't that a little town over there? Can I go over there? It's only a little one, please. And he does. And then he's in the town. Then he's afraid in the town. He's, is he governed by faith in God, by confidence that God is the one who says and performs and decrees and fulfills, who has mercy on the world, as Baruch Sha'amar? Does he believe, as we read, that God will remember his promises to him and do for him what he had promised? Does he believe it? He's not governed by that. He's governed by fear because he does not have confidence in God. That is the difference we read about Abraham's behavior in the sacrifice of his son Isaac. Look at this. This is fascinating. This is the commentary in Hebrews chapter 11 about the Akedah. By trusting Avraham when he was put to the test, because it says in Genesis 22, also in our parsha, and now the Lord tested Abraham. By trusting Abraham, when he was put to the test, offered up Yitzchak as a sacrifice. Yes, he offered up his only son, he who had received the promises, to whom it had been said, what is called your seed will be by Isaac. God had promised that all of his descendants, as much as the stars of the heavens as the sand and the seashore, would come through Isaac. Isaac has not had his first child yet. And yet Abraham is prepared to go sacrifice Isaac. For he had concluded that God could even raise people from the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did so receive her. What are we saying? Abraham did not understand what was going on when God told him to offer up Isaac. Abraham could have said, this is crazy. This is the son that God promised me. God kept his promises. Now he wants me to sacrifice him? He didn't understand, but he obeyed immediately. He knew, one thing he knew, I don't know what's going on, but I know that at the end of the day, 
What I won't have is a dead son. That's what he believes because he had a rock solid conviction that God would keep his promises and was able to do what he said. Do we understand that? This is incredible stuff, but it's meant to leak into my life, into your life. What made the difference was that he knew that God is faithful to do what he said and able to do what he had promised. That's what made him truly righteous, not just merely righteous. And that's what will make me, what will stabilize my life. As my wife and I are planning to go to New York, it's crazy. It's totally nuts. But we can only be stabilized in that situation if we believe that God is faithful to do what he said and able to do what he promised. This stabilized his life, Abram's life. This is why Lot was merely righteous and unstable. So the challenge for us is this. Will we be merely righteous or truly righteous? That's the proposition that confronts me and you today. Are we going to be like Lot? He was rescued. He was, in kind of baptistic terms, was he saved? I, don't, I hate that term. Was he saved? Absolutely. He was saved from the destruction. But he was merely righteous. The Bible says he's righteous. He's vexed by the right things. He knows who God is. But he's unstable. He's governed by fear and by perhaps other things. He is not governed by confidence that God is able to do what he said and do what he promised. What will stabilize our life is trusting that God is faithful to do what he said and able to do what he promised. So the invitation to me, to you, to us today is to be truly righteous. Can we do that? Every single one of us can do that. Blessed is he who created the world, blessed be he. Blessed is he who says and performs. Blessed be he who decrees and fulfills. That's what made Abram truly righteous. That that's how he lived. May we be the same. Let's pray. Your word says, Adonai oz the Lord will give strength to his people. Strengthen us, O God. May we be like our father Abram. You say in Isaiah, remember the rock from which you were hewn and the quarry from which you were dug. Remember Abraham, your father. We must remember the rock from which we were hewn, the quarry from which we were dug. And may we, God, May we not be wimpy in our faith in you, governed by fear, bargaining with you. Oh, it's a little one. Can I please go there? May we instead be like Abram, our father, like Sarah, our mother, people who believed that you were a God who kept your promises and was able to do what you said. May that govern our lives increasingly from this time until we see you face to face. We ask with thanksgiving in Yeshua's name. Amen? Amen. Amen.
I hope that helps you. I want to sing a song with you. It's a song you may not know. So it's called Abraham Covenant Man. It was written uh, many years ago by an extremely humble individual. Uh, and uh, I'm going to find it, and you're going to find it. It's on your song sheet. It should be. Page four. Thank you. Would you please stand? I'm going to sing it a little bit for you so that you get the feel for it, and then we'll sing the whole thing together. twice-born child of Abraham in the covenant God made with him I thank God for the faithfulness of Abraham he taught me how to live believing in my God that's the verse and here's the chorus Abraham twice-born child. I'm a twice-born child of Abraham. In the covenant God made with him, I thank God for the faithfulness of Abraham. He taught me how to live, believing in Standing there, a desert man. See him gazing at the skies. Hear the Lord saying, So shall your descendants be, as countless as the stars that stand upon the shore. Abraham. Trusting in the promises of God, 
Before you're seated, um, let's see. 